1: Hey, welcome to the show. This is where we revel in wrong think. And if you're not sure exactly what wrong think is all about, I would encourage you just listen. You don't have to agree with it. That's the beauty of wrong think. I'm joined by fellow wrong thinker, Gary Welch. Gary, how are you this fine day?
2: I am ready to really just ladle out the wrong thinking in in droves. (laughs) And, um, you know, I'll add the adage to it of, of all of those media centers out there and those media people, don't ban us, please. We're just wrong thinkers, that's all.
1: Now, I, I try to steer clear of a lot of, you know, the really, you know, politically heated stuff. Unfortunately, a lot of current events right now uh, has has a lot of political overtones. So I I want to start by asking you, uh, you know, there, there's a, apparently there's an impeachment trial that's taking place now in the in the absence of uh, of the former president. What are your thoughts on the oh so solemn duties being undertaken, you know, in the halls of Congress these days to impeach the former president?
2: Once again, I become so surprised by the lack of vocal outrage for the absurd when they do something that is so absurd and so stupid and such a waste of time and effort. And there is no no really major backlash coming at this and it's like can't you see this this is nothing but vendetta that's all this is i there really isn't a whole lot there and i have and always said this i am not a fan of president trump i am not a trumper i'm not one of those guys that says right or wrong i'm backing him up but i just don't see it i really do not see it it's a big big stretch but anyways, what really, what are you doing? He's gone. The man's left. All right. He's not even in the vicinity anymore. He's. What are you guys doing? Elvis has left the building, right? <laughs> and the block and the state, and, you know, he's gone. And, and, and this just, you know, the, the two reasons you can give is that it's just a pure personal vendetta and then the second reason is we want to make sure he doesn't come back. And what does that tell me? That tells me you're really scared of him.
1: It's very interesting to me that uh, the, the catchphrase right now is we need to have this impeachment for the sake of unity. And and I'm thinking the word unity is being tortured beyond any definition that, uh, that I am aware of at this time. I don't think we need that kind of unity. I think what we need is we need um, adherence to the Constitution. Now, Tom Cranawitter, who is... I think I think he's very well-reasoned, very matter-of-fact. I don't read anything partisan into what he's saying here. He says, for the millions of you who pause to care about the Constitution only when it serves your political partisan interests. Here's the skinny. Article 2, Section 4 of the United States Constitution declares, quote, The President, Vice President, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of... Treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. End quote. And so here's his first question regarding impeachment and conviction: Is Donald Trump the president, the vice president, or any other civil officer of the United States? And if the answer is no, then the impeachment clauses within the Constitution are irrelevant. One cannot impeach, convict, and remove from office someone who isn't in office. And he has another point here worth considering. He says, further, any argument to impeach and convict Trump when he holds no government office is an argument to impeach and convict any and all citizens who don't hold government offices, which is ridiculous. So that's he says that's your constitutional lesson for the day. You're welcome. Any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, he's, he's taking the constitutional purist approach, which we see a lot. But here's my point, and I always make this point with constitutionalists. I get what you're saying. I like what you're saying, but it has no basis in reality. It is not what our reality is today. Our reality today is they have precedent. The Supreme Court has ruled on that, that this can be done. And it has been done in the past. This is not the first time that they impeached someone who wasn't sitting in the office. They got away with it. That was allowed. So for our reality, it's an impeachable offense, and they find it constitutional. They are basing on that on being constitutional. So who, I under- who was it? I, I, I mean,
1: I, I'm happy to learn, but I, I wasn't aware of anybody being, being it impeached. He was a judge. Oh, okay.
2: I, I think there was a judge and a senator, if my research was right. But after, that, they, had left, I looked at,
1: after they were no longer in that office, they were impeached. Yes. Interesting. Yeah, I, I mean.
2: It, and the Supreme Court ruled on it.
1: Oh, well, if the Supreme Court ruled on it, then I mean, hey,
2: it has to be Correct. right. And, no, and, and I, that gets to my uh, point. Yeah. You know, you and I talk a lot about this is that, you know, just because the Supreme Court says it doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. It just means that's their opinion. And we've we've shown time after time after time again, they make bad decisions just like everyone else. And they change their decisions as as the needs fit and the political climates dictates. So, you know, can't put too much credibility into it. But from the, the purist, they go and says, this is what it says. This is what it means. And therefore, that's it. The discussion is over. And I always say, no, it's not because you know, that's the way it should be. Here is the way it is. We have to deal with what is, not what should be. We want to get to the should be. But at the time, you have to deal with what is.
1: Yeah, it just seems that what is is very interested in perpetuating what is, you know, uh, forevermore. The the status quo is very, uh, very concerned about maintaining itself. And so I, uh, you know, this, what little faith I may have had In in politicians and in Washington has has circled the drain and really has disappeared. I to me, this they're much more interested in their own political melodrama than they are with actually fulfilling public offices, which which leads us to kind of a, a touchy, if not interesting subject here. Are they still truly accountable to the voters? Given that, uh, again, the Supreme Court sidestepped a chance to actually hear a case that challenged some some things, which I think were, were legitimate concerns, whether or not they changed the election isn't so important. It's whether or not the election system is still accountable. And if, if we come to the conclusion that our elected officials aren't still truly accountable to the voters. Then uh, we have some decisions to make. And, and Gary, I'm. I'm much more inclined to go for the peaceful, de-escalating solution of then maybe we need to talk about secession as as an official remedy. If, in fact, we have lost control of those who purport to to represent us. Your thoughts.
2: Well, I always work with the concept of, you know, first try to reform, then try to nullify then do the succession, then break away. Then that, you know, end all the relationship altogether. And then that last one's always the last resort because nine times out of 10, that ends up in violence.
1: And and I think it's worth asking, and why does it end up in violence?
2: Because it is the case of last resort. Well, it, it's, it is,
1: it's because the abuser is, is uh, it, it might as well be wearing a wife beater t-shirt and saying, just try and leave me, babe. See what happens. And I mean, that that happens, you know, politically as, as well as otherwise. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm of the mind that that it's a topic that should be discussed because I think we're certainly going to see violence if that is not an option. But unfortunately, for for many people, um, you know, there, Tom Woods talks about the three by five index card of things you can talk about. Uh, gee, uh, Gary, the tax rate can either be 37 percent or it can be 38 percent. It's your choice. You know, that's that's the approved. uh, That's the the boundaries of approved opinion. We can argue over whether it should be this or this. But when you start talking about, hey, this line should actually be over here, meaning secession. You know, as Tom Wood says, it's like it's that's nowhere to be found in the known universe.
2: Right. And and there there's a lot going on with that type of control of speech, you know, that they, they would consider that. Unacceptable speech, and you get banned, and right. you just use the word. Uh, <laughs> when you were sitting there talking, I'm like, "Uh oh, we're in trouble." That's it. You know, nobody's going to hear this message. This show's gone.
1: Well, and 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 that's how we're expected to behave. Is if, well, by the very fact that I even bring it up, that refutes whatever point I'm trying to make. But like, like the questions that linger over the election, I'm still concerned and convinced that there's a discussion to be had. There is truth to be sorted out. And, you know, contrary to what George Stephanopoulos uh, asserted on Sunday when he was talking with Senator Rand Paul, there's no such thing as just one side. But I'm glad we can have these discussions. And I think you and I are probably more likely to get to a solution than uh, the folks in Washington. I hope that doesn't sound arrogant. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: Hey, The Brian Hyde Show is brought to you each weekday at this time by great sponsors like Altabank. That would be my friend John Staples. You can uh, go on to the show notes at com. You'll find contact information, links right down there with the sponsors, and you can reach out to John. If you're looking for a, a new home loan or maybe a refinance on your existing mortgage, this is the time to do it. Man, those interest rates are low, and they're not going to stay there forever. I have Gary Welch with me here on the show today. We are, as usual, talking about the problems of the world, and as wise, well, as allegedly wise men, and you know, we're, we're doing our best to hash these things out. Gary, I get the sense that elected officials do not feel accountable in any real sense to the voters. They are accountable maybe to whoever makes the voting machines or whoever their highest paid lobbyists are or whoever their friends are, you know, within various uh, bureaucratic positions. But I don't get a sense that they really care that much about the voters. And I think they act like it. What what do you recommend? I know you've you've talked about at at the federal level. It's it's really kind of a how likely are we to have any kind of meaningful reform where there's so much power at stake?
2: And there is there. Well, let's let's define accountability because they are accountable, but not to the right people. So and the other side of that is who is holding them accountable There was there was this discussion on the local level about just state legislators, you know, the in Utah and in many states. Now, the legislators are meeting for the first time and they're ready to start passing their legislation for the year. And that whole thing about what is your role? What are you supposed to do? How do you participate in the process of going to these legislators? And I hear all these people saying, oh, yeah, it works. Go talk to them and tell them what you think. And my You know, from my viewpoint, I'm like, that's a total waste of time. They don't care about you. They really don't, you know, but they are accountable and they do care. But you have to have certain things. You have to be a big donor or you have to be someone that is um, very good at volunteering and creating groups and organizations that support them or something of that level before they really listen to you. And that is because the vast majority of us have allowed them to get away with it, and we've disengaged. Now, you've talked about succession. I think there is a tremendous amount of the population of America that has disengaged from the political process. They succeeded, but that's all they did is create the void. You have to do something more, right? I mean— In in your idea of succession, when that, you know, the personal succession, I should talk about it, make sure everybody's clear on that. But isn't it more than just disengaging from the body politic and doing something else? Because if you disengage, you're no longer in the process. They move on without you. And that's what we're seeing.
1: At the same time, though, by disengaging, you are taking away any consent or legitimacy you might otherwise be lending to them. So I like the way that Jeff Deist puts it, and he does talk about how the wisdom of secession actually starts and ends with the individual. Bad ideas run the world, but he says, must they run your world? So the question he says we have to ask ourselves is, how seriously do I take the right of self-determination? And what am I willing to do in my personal life to assert it? So what he's saying here is secession really begins at home with the actions we all take in our everyday lives to distance and remove ourselves from state authority, quietly, nonviolently, inexorably. And he gives a lot of different recommendations, recommendations of how we can do that, uh, seceding from not just institutions, but influences, uh, people that have become sources of toxic toxicity in our lives. How many people do you know who've given up social media here of late? I know a lot, and right. one one of the reasons they do it is well. It's just become it's become so toxic. I just can't be a part of it anymore, and they walk away. And they you know they devote their time and their attention to other things. And I'm, I'm assuming the same thing. Social media goes on, and I guess the the beauty is the difference between social media and government is social media won't come after you, and try to force you to be a part of it again. Government might.
2: When you were talking about consent, and see, this is the fear of government is government can act without consent, and they often do. They, they, you, you know, the whole discussion of accountability stems from we as a people want them to do certain things, and they fail to do it. They or they do just the opposite and then nothing happens they get reelected they get back in office they continue on or we replace them with somebody else who's just a clone who does the exact same thing over and over again and this this does this brings out of that disengagement i talk about this a lot with the, about the millennials in a lot of ways they're the smart ones we, you know we we chide them and 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 deride them but in a lot of ways they're the smart ones because what they have told us when we did the research into this was basically this is you guys go to this trowel that they put in front of you. That's filled with all the garbage and trash and rotten heap. And you stick your head in and you go <laughs> like that. And you eat it up and you go, Oh, this is horrible. Oh, this is terrible. Oh, this is rancid right back into it. And they're saying that is the most stupidest thing ever. We have just decided to disengage and we're not going to the trial to eat that garbage. And you guys keep going back and over and over again. You get the Republican in, they do the same thing to you. You get the Democrat, they do the same thing to you. You see nothing change and you gripe and complain. And yet you keep going back. We have decided to opt out. Now I do disagree with that, but at the same time, I have to say, well, you know you're right it's stupid to go back to the trial and eat that trash
1: but i i'm I'm looking at this too, from the angle of how do you actually hold people in public office accountable and this would be this could be true not just at the federal level but right down to the local level and and something that you have talked about many times and and I'm grateful for the way that you put this is that we forget that elected officials are not elected to rule us to be our masters we elect them as servants they're their employees but somehow it's hard to find anybody who actually has an understanding of that and is willing to assert themselves and say that's right they work for us instead we've got this trained mindset of well if they said something you know we we have to uh, we have to obey if they put words on paper we're bound to do what they say
2: you want a great civics lessons and and we do this in Utah, uh, where you and I are are living, but I see it in other places where the Boy Scouts and whatnot would go into a city council meeting and watch it. That was part of their civics part part of doing their their badges is to walk into a city council meeting. You know, there's certain things that I always recommend to Americans. One is go overseas once, just look see how the other side lives. The other one is. Go to a city council meeting. Go to your local representative, county meeting like that, and watch what happens. You know what I see at city council meeting? I see supplicants coming before the rulers (laughs) asking for favors. Oh, yeah. That's at your city council. Yeah. So when you're sitting there and you get that mindset, you're coming to me. Begging me, oh, please, Mr. Welch, will you please give me this, Mr. Welch? Can I please have this, Mr. Welch? (laughs) You have the power to give this to me, Mr. Welch. What do you think is going to happen? You know, I'm going to get on that. And then the whole setup, you know, they sit on this this pedestal. They're higher than everyone else. They're looking down on us. That's all that imagery that they try to incorporate, which is an image of power.
1: Well... We've got to reestablish that uh, that balance and tip the scale back in favor of, you know, the, the citizens, which is the, the rightful source of all political power. Unfortunately, that's a civic lesson that's going to take us a while because we've got a, lot, got a lot of fog to break through. All right. We've got to take a break. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Please check out my website dot thebrianhydeshow.com. Check out the show notes. You'll find plenty of great reading material. We'll be back with Gary Welch right after this.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: Hey, welcome back to the show. I want to give a quick shout-out and let you know that uh, I will be joined tomorrow... By Shannon Brooks, Dr. Shannon Brooks with Monticello College. They are one of the sponsors of our show, and you're going to hear a little bit about what it means to be Liber. That's a phrase that isn't going to be familiar to a lot of folks. We'll have some details on that one o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Right now, Gary Welch is my guest. Gary and I are meticulously trying to solve problems, and uh, and Gary, I just I am I'm not sure how we go about it, but we have we have got to either return some degree of accountability. To government, and I mean at every level, or we got to start building whatever comes next. I make it sound simple, but I understand it's, it's actually pretty complicated in terms of and, and extricate ourselves from the, the non-responsive types of government.
2: No, it actually is really simple. Um, it's, it's simple and complex at the same time because the solution is simple. The implementation of it is where it gets hard. But that is we have to establish that accountability where it does the most good and it can be established. And one of the things that I have been arguing for for quite a long time is that, again, where do these guys go to for their support? Who are they feeling like they are accountable to? And every time when when I was especially when I was really involved with the Republicans, I found that it was to the party apparatus, that, you know, the donors, the volunteers, and the leaders of the political party, the guys that are in the back rooms, the guys that are not there as the candidates that are sitting on stages, all those guys, they were the ones who the candidates felt like they were accountable to. I got to kiss the ring of my chairman. I got to kiss the ring of my donors. I got to kiss the ring of the guys that are volunteering and and getting the volunteers there, that that's who I feel accountable to. And so, you know, I just go to, I think we have to start with the political party process. How do we change that to institute accountability? How do we do, how do we make it so that these folks are accountable until the point that we can get the population to, to do what they're supposed to do?
1: So you look at the the big money donors. I guess the George Soroses of the world. I would say the Sheldon Adelsons, but I think he uh, shuffled off this mortal coil here a couple of weeks ago. But uh how much influence do these people really have in in the grand scheme of things?
2: The 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 background people, they they yes. have the power. They are the power. There is a shadow government. It does exist. And I know I'm sounding like a conspiracy conspiracy theorist when I say that. But there is a very realistic shadow government going on of these individuals that are very much influencing our politicians, very much influencing the politics. You know, we talk about voter fraud that that does not happen on a grassroots. You know, just totally independent level. You, you have to coordinate things. You have to make things happen. And this is why I always talk about the need for political parties, because there's a lot of folks out there that says, well, we should have 20 political parties and we should have no parties at all and all that other stuff. And I keep on saying, no, the, the system requires some organization. And the bigger and stronger that organization is, the more likely you're going to be successful. But you have to have the right one. And these guys, you know, they're behind all these things, making these things happen um, and they are very, very influential They 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 are calling the shots more so than that guy that's sitting in the seat in Congress.
1: Yeah, it just when to, to hear you describe it. It seems to me it would be a lot easier to, first of all, focus much lower level of government. You know, if you're going to put your your effort, your moral energy into affecting some kind of of uh, influence. I would think it would be as close to you as you can get, you know, whether that's, you know, within your own hometown, whether that's, you know, your city council, your county commission, whatever it may be. Um, I just don't have faith that uh, without real, you know, deep pockets financially, you're going to have the attention of those who make up the ruling class, either at the state or at the federal level.
2: I just remember a, a situation that happened with a county chairman of the political party. Um, and this was just the county chair guy. And we had a politician. He was running in a, in a county race, um, but he was just making a stance. And I don't even remember the stance anymore, what he was that he was fighting for. But he was just being stubborn and saying, you know, this is the way I feel. and I'm going to stand up for this. And when we were trying to say, you know, that's an unpopular thing. You're not going to go far with it. And no, 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 no. And I remember the chairman just said, well, I'm going to go talk to him. And he had a very short conversation. I don't think there was a lot of persuading or conciliatory talk. You know, I didn't hear the conversation, but I saw it. And the chairman was definitely dictating terms, not receiving them. And after that conversation, that guy switched. He stopped doing it. He started towing the line. Hmm. And, you know, that's a scary thought that really, you know, who is in power because the party elected the chairman, the party apparatus elected the chairman. And how did you know they get that? But we didn't. The people did not. And if that guy's telling this, this, you know, how much power does this guy have? But I, I really do think because, you know, if you think about it, where do your volunteers come from? They come from the party. It's the party that organize them. Where do your donors come from? They come from the party. The donors, you know, look to the chairman. They don't even really look to campaign managers and candidates for that money that they're looking to the chairman because you may be there for two, three, four years, but, you know, that party apparatus, that's there forever. And if I want to have influence, if I want things given my way, going my way, um, I've got to kiss the right wings to that.
1: Interesting. Well, I think there there are going to be some yet to be seen innovative approaches, um, and and I'll just come right out and say it, Gary. I am a skeptic of, of whether the party system um, can can carry the day, simply because it's 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 so prone to uh, it's so prone to attract power seekers and and opportunists. Um, You know, we we've talked we we've briefly touched a couple of times on, you know, what happens to the Republican Party. Uh, And I'm trying to remember, I I think you may have come right out and said uh, the Republican Party is done as as a political party. And did you say that? Am I putting words in your mouth?
2: No, it's dead.
1: Okay, because I agree with you. (laughs) I agree with you 100 percent on that. And I'm not sure that it's a bad thing, but uh, I think that leaves a lot of people, like you said before, in the in the gap, so to speak homeless you know they don't really know where to go and here's the question i'm trying to wrestle out in my mind do they need a party or do they need something besides a party and, and i'm open really to to whatever answers but I, I guess what i'm suggesting is i'm not completely convinced that that uh, a new party or that uh, you know better implementation of existing parties is going to yield any better results that's just my own skepticism
2: so one of the things I, I always talk about, and this was in, in the book, too, the Embrace Capitalism book, was about our founding fathers were just really great human behaviorists. And one of the things you have to look at when you're looking at what they said and what they did is not look at what they said, but why they said it. And one of the things that they recognize in human behavior is that wherever there is power, there will be those who seek it. And where there is not power, there will be those who will try to create it and then fill that void. And we have to recognize that that that's a part of human nature, that's part of society. It's not what we like, it's not what we want. But all those who will be going into government are going to be individuals one way or another who are seeking power. And their, their frame of mind was what we need to do is check that. We're not waiting for them. We're not looking to them to check their own power. We have to always make sure that we check it for them.
1: No, that that makes sense. And look, this is this used to be just part of basic civics or part of what the understanding was of how do I be a good citizen? And, you know, I think we've. We've outsourced so much of of what government does and and allowed ourselves to believe that only experts can really understand this. I mean, you see this in in the case of the state of California. In fact, when we come back, Gary, we'll we'll be back from the break here in in a few minutes. I want to talk about some of the covid stuff, uh, because this (laughs) is this is a thing you and I have covered. California doesn't want to release any of its data upon which it based its shutdowns and lockdowns. It doesn't want to release any of that. In fact, it tells people who are asking for it under Freedom of Information Act requests, "Oh no, that's just uh, that, that'd be too confusing. It, it would just confuse you and and lead to uh, misinformation, which I guess is a polite way of just saying this is for grownups. Now run along and play. Anyway, we'll talk a little bit about that when we continue. Gary Welch is my guest. We'll be back in just a moment.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: Hey, welcome back to the show. Gary Welch is my guest. By the way, I'll I'll open up the lines if you'd like. 801-331-8113. If you'd like to call in, join the conversation, you can do so. Gary and I have taken a pretty good track at, uh, crack here at solving the world's problems. I think we're making progress, but probably still have a ways to go. Talk to me about uh, COVID. You were mentioning something before we went on the air about uh, there, it's very interesting how, how easily uh, Dr. Fauci has fit into Biden's presidency. And I agree with that observation, Gary. I think, yeah, yeah, he kind of weathered that transition, you know, with, uh, without a feather out of place.
2: And we see this all the time, though, in the federal bureaucracy. You know, the the department heads obviously get changed out. But even then, sometimes these lower level type of of, of bureaucratic, bureaucratic organizations don't get changed. But like in the case of Dr. Fauci, that is a situation where he is the head. He's the guy leading the charge on COVID. And you had two different presidents with two very different viewpoints about how to go after this and treat it. And like, you would think that if Fauci was Trump's guy, then Biden would have fired him as soon as he got on board. He would have said, you're out of here, dude, you and I are not in agreement on anything. And you would have thought that if Fauci was a, say a Democrat operative and and working in that level, that Trump would have tossed him out. And I ask that question a lot of times, like, why didn't Trump fire this guy? Man, he was was a disaster. And now we see Fauci just jumping in right in, and he's actually feeling like he's happier. He looks like he's really happy now that Biden's in place, and he's going to be able to do all the things that he wants to do. But my question is, who's running the government? I mean, who's in charge of this stuff? Is it the bureaucrats? Are these are the guys like Fauci really getting to the point of they're running the government?
1: Well, it's interesting that they don't change when the when the faces of, of various figureheads do change. You know, there's there's a there's a, there's a permanent bureaucracy. And, and look, I haven't confirmed this. I'm sure other people have seen this going around social media today uh, that uh, the. Tony Fauci is the highest-paid federal employee. Now I don't know what that would entail, because I know the president. Uh, last I heard, the president's making upwards of four hundred thousand dollars a year in, in salary, or at least that's what is budgeted for the presidential salary. I don't know what uh, what Fauci is making, but if it's uh, if it's above four hundred thousand, yeah, that sounds like pretty good work. Sounds like a like a pretty cushy job, all things considered.
2: Yeah. I and wow, how can you even justify that? I guess that's easy enough to find out. I I'm having some doubts about that number, but um I I'm pretty sure he gets paid really well though.
1: Yeah, and it's you know, again, I'm I'm just I have no vendetta about uh, you know, Dr. Fauci. I stopped listening to him a long time ago. But boy, there's an example of what uh, what entrenched government looks like and and his job wasn't threatened in the least with a change of administration i think you're right to point that out and and it it teaches us something about the bureaucracy and why it's so intent on protecting the status quo keep things as they are you know maybe we yield a little more to the left this time around a little more to the right next time around but but things don't really
2: change it seems And this creates all these issues of of and we saw this with COVID COVID is just like the most perfect example of a non representative government where you had bureaucrats making decisions that impacted all of us, unelected individuals who really are immune to any kind of repercussions for what they did. I I remember here in Utah. The the gal that was the head of the Utah Department of Health, there was a group of citizens that protested in front of her house, and the governor went ballistic. In fact, you know, that was, they were talking about it. I, I actually know the individuals that did that. And, and they were talking about it, that Governor Cox, the new governor of Utah, when he came in, he actually put that in his address, you know, that he thought that was such a big deal that they were doing that. But I always feel like, well, why shouldn't we? These people are making decisions. How are we going to hold them accountable with this whole idea of accountability? What is if, if there's a scenario where there is no way that I can hold them accountable because I have no, no say in whether or not they keep their jobs. I have no say on how they're running their jobs. Yes. I can do that through say the governor and whatnot, but as we see, if Biden's saying, sure, Fauci, come on board, and Trump was saying, sure, Fauci, come on board, well, what does that tell us, man?
1: Oh, that's a that's a disturbing thought, isn't it? Now, isn't it interesting, too, Gary, that uh, have you noticed how uh, suddenly in some of the bigger cities, you know, New York, Chicago, and even in Los Angeles, now officials are, are suddenly recognizing the obvious things that you and I have been saying for, for a long time. And that is, oh, well, we need to get these restaurants and these bars open. We need to get these businesses open. But it it's the the timing is just so suspect. You know, now that the orange man is gone, now that he's, you know, out of the picture, it seems like it's it's safe for them to to start backing down some of these lockdowns. And I'm I'm happy to see it, but but I'll tell you, I'm looking with a jaded eye and going, uh-huh. <laughs> That's real curious that uh, now suddenly seems like a great time for for things to start opening up again. I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe I'm seeing things that aren't there. Do
2: you? Are you seeing this as well? No, it goes back. It goes to my my concept about. Um, the absurdity of it all, and that the numbers have not changed. The numbers are no different this week than they were last week. They're no different than before the inauguration as they are after. Everything has been the same, and this has always been the case with them, that hypocritical look at things of saying everything's the same, but now we're going to make changes because it's our guys, or everything's the same, but we're going to make exception because it fits our rules instead of your rules. This is really that enlightened lead approach of government and that it does not apply to us and it does not impact us. It does not affect us. We're above all that.
1: Unbelievable. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that some common sense is slowly starting to return to the herd. But, uh, but I guess time will tell. We've got a caller standing by. Caller, go ahead. You're on the air.
2: Yes. How are you today? Can you hear me?
1: Yep. Yep, just fine. What's on your mind? Well, um, you guys are wanting to know who's running the government. Um, It's whoever's running that printing press. That's who's running the
2: government. That's your answer. Okay. There's no other answer to it. I mean, all this stuff is based on their paychecks, like Dr. Fauci's paycheck, the highest-paid federal employee you were just saying. It's all based on printed money. So whoever's the big banks, I, I would imagine, is calling the shots. And it's all delegated down.
1: Interesting. Okay, no, I've I've heard things, you know, placed at the feet of the money power before. Gary, your thoughts?
2: Yes. You, you know, there is always the, the idea of follow the money type of deal. But there is other influences. We have to acknowledge that, uh, you know, Let's look at it for what it is, for what it really is, and understand that there is layers and there's different components of this. It's really simple to say, well, it's just this or it's just that, just one guy or it's just the conspiracy guys. And I always talk about that. That It's really easy to just say, oh, that's what it is. But when you start really looking at how politics work, you'll see that there's a lot of wills, a lot of things that are that are impacting it and impacting these decisions. And we need to address them. We need to look at this from a very, I would say, a very open and a very wide-angle lens.
1: Okay. Yeah, the, the money power definitely plays a role. And this could actually spark some interesting conversation if we had more time into the prospect of competing currencies. Had uh, Kerry McDonald on the show yesterday talking about cryptocurrency. And um, I don't know if you heard about what the big $730 million Powerball jackpot. Jim Cramer from MSNBC made the made the comment, "Hey, if it were me, if I won that kind of money, I'd take five percent of it and put it into cryptocurrency. You know, buy five five percent of it in, in Bitcoin." So, the money power is something to 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 deal with. It is definitely an influence. I don't know if it's the if it's the sum, but it's part of how. Government is able to, to operate with with as little accountability as possible, especially when you can just create money essentially out of thin air and promises and IOUs that are passed on for generations. We're down to about the last 30 seconds here. Gary, your final thoughts.
2: Well, I always like to leave it with a message of what you can do. And I said this off the air, but I'm going to tell everybody right now in public. The secret is to fight locally. You have to take this battle to your cities and your counties. We're not going to win trying to fight the feds.
1: Okay. Well said, my wrong thinking friend. It's been great to revel with you in wrong think once again,
2: as always.